What things that are very attractive are the percentage of deals that a partner is involved with, percentage of deals that a partner is sourcing for you. Again, I like to find it where you can pour gas on the go-to-market, uh, but the product's really there. A cheat code to revenue is trying to tap into those channels. Welcome to Make Them Famous, the podcast about partner enablement. The only podcast to uncover both how partner teams enable their partners and how other department leaders enable their partner teams to achieve success. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Make Them Famous, the podcast where we try to dig a little deeper and uncover what is really working within partnerships. In this episode, I speak to Sean Kester. He's a partner at In Revenue Capital, a unique operator immersive firm obsessed with enabling founders with what their partners have learned. I asked Sean to join me because he is a former partnerships lead at Sales Loft and Stacks and an advisor to partnerships driven organizations like PandaDoc. So he has the ideal experience to help us understand what is go-to-market fit and how partners fit into that, where partnerships can help with capital raises, how Sean and In Revenue Capital incorporate partnership strategy with their portfolio companies. I asked Sean about ecosystems-led versus community-led, i.e., you think Deal Hub for HubSpot, Qualified for Salesforce. These are ecosystem-specific products before they roll out entrances into other ecosystems versus your community-driven products that launch a product later, like Lavender.ai is a good example. They built a tremendous community, then launched their product. So I wanted to ask Sean what he thinks about either approach, pros and cons with both. Then we go into what must be in place before a startup launches into partnerships. It's not a win question, it's more of a what question. And finally, I asked Sean to poke holes in a partnerships-led growth go-to-market strategy that we are actually testing with our V2 launch of Partner Hub that's coming out in July, and it is June now, so look out for that. Uh, this is where, for example, you would pay influential members of a community prior to launch to do a series of social posts after launch. You would bring those thought leaders in your vertical uh, into the product by way of templatized, branded experiences. Think uh, Databox, uh, what Pete Caputa did over there, where he allows agencies, partners of theirs to submit templates to the library. And now users can start using Databox by clicking on one of those branded produced by agency name templates. This is what we call a uh, product-led partnerships approach where you're bringing those in. And then uh, another example is matching new users of your product with expert consultants to help them get better experience, better onboarding, better use out of your product early on. And they sign a contract to provide expert support over a 30-minute just deep dive type of a call. And in return, you're matching them. So you're providing them with a lead, a potential client lead, and they're providing you with 30 minutes, maybe an hour of free help for one of your users. And if they end up buying a package, then everybody wins because that user is going to be a stickier user. And of course, your partners are pretty excited about that. And it's a great experience. 
This type of episode I've been wanting to do for a very long time, and I finally found the right person to do it with, so I hope you enjoy it. But first, please hear about two technologies that can really help you grow your business on top of partnerships. Well, we could not make this podcast famous without help from our sponsors. For sponsorship, we looked to platforms that help you find, activate, enable, and manage your partner program. These tools may be the only tools that you'll need to effectively run partnership. The tools in question are Reveal for account mapping and running co-selling operations and Partner Hub for working closely day-to-day with MSPs, managed service providers. When you're ready to really get into the revenue operation of partnerships, that means that you want to map accounts, see what the overlap is, see who I'm targeting that you're also targeting, see who I'm targeting that you're not targeting, and come up with a strategy to get those accounts into my pipeline, into your pipeline, and to build that pie, that bigger and bigger pie together. Oftentimes, you'll invite a partner to an account mapping solution that has a paywall too early, which is prohibitive for a lot of Uh, the target audiences that our partner programs are after, the digital agencies. Uh, If you invite them to reveal, you can trust that they won't hit a paywall. There's 360 account mapping UI in reveal for free, and it is at reveal.co. Finally, Partner Hub. Again, it's a partner operations platform. Partnerships has a lot going on. Who's doing what? at what stage in the partnership are the questions that many of my partner managers ask themselves. Partner Hub is here to solve for what are we doing with partnerships, who's doing what, where are our partners, and if we need to find more, are we able to go and shop for more partners? Partner Hub answers all of those questions with yes, and it is free. It's free for top tech companies like Apollo, AudioWise, Smith, Growbots, Recart, Customer.io. And it's free for digital agencies like Hawk Media, Trellis, Aptitude 8, Creative Trends. A lot of these tech companies and agencies use Partner Hub to find and align with each other. MSP, Managed Service Provider, Digital Agency, as well as SaaS tech companies. So check it out, partnerhub.app. And again, thank you for listening. I'll let you get back to the show. Sean, welcome to the podcast. It's your first time on Make Them Famous. The conversation that we're going to have today is focused around partnerships and venture capital and where those two interact, what is the benefit and where some things may be interesting. We're going to talk about the climate. We're going to talk about what partnerships teams and CEOs should know. And we're going to meet Sean and hear about his background first. So Sean, take us away, man. Who are you? What do you do? Why are we here? <laughs> awesome. Uh, thanks, Alex. Happy to be here. Um, so uh, I'm Sean Kester. I'm a partner at In Revenue Capital. Um, and uh, started my career um, at a company called Salesloft and spent about eight years there building everything from the SDR team to product partnerships, alliances, um, and did a couple acquisitions as well. So I uh, touched many parts of the business and uh, was there from you know zero revenue all the way up to um, 150 million plus in ARR. Um, from then, built another um, partnership team over at a company called Stacks, and uh, and now uh, recently joined a uh, capital fund called In Revenue Capital. 
Ah, I forgot you were at Sales Loft. That was your, wow, seven-year stint. That yes. is great experience. You were with them during a very awesome period of growth. <laughs> Holy crap. Um, yeah, it was really fun. <laughs> that's great. Such a killer company, man. Just watching them just kind of weed out the competition and just stay strong and doing their thing. I actually worked with their partnerships, uh, head of agency partnerships. I can't remember her role. She's still there. Um, Angela? Angela. Yeah. I worked with her on some yeah. different projects um, about the time. Yeah. About 2010, right before you left. Um, Stacks. Awesome. Then you went into mentorship. Um, how did the in-river conversation start? Where did where did that originate and why were you so interested in going into VC? Yeah. So um, Justin and Josh are the general partners at in, uh, in Revenue. Um, built it around the thesis that the VC, traditional VC is broken in the fact that they oftentimes will give you money, but not any of the other resources they promise. So they'll all say, hey, listen, we'll give you connections. We'll help. We'll have an advisor group of people. We'll help you grow the companies. But a lot of times it's money. And so, and, that, and that's kind of primarily what they are able to um, to offer into the into the fund itself. And so um, what they wanted to do is something that we've called operative intensive capital, which means that we're all operators uh, at heart. We are tr are not um, classically trained VCs. So what we like to do is find organizations at the seed stage that have what we call um, product market fit, but they don't have go to market fit, meaning it's usually um, a founder that might have had a specific pain point. They decided to create a business around it. Um, they have some traction and revenue. However, they're doing most of the sales themselves. Maybe they've brought in someone to lead sales or they've hired a couple of sales reps, but haven't been able to get that traction yet um, from a scalable perspective. And so uh, you can see that they've, you know, they've landed a handful of deals and they're not just intros from, the, from you know, other investors or friends and family, but they're really folks that came in and saw the value in the business itself. And so they've got that product market fit, but we're looking to to kind of help with that go-to-market fit. And so we'll come in basically as a you know a short-term CRO in ways, and we'll help them build their playbooks, identify their ICPs, their target markets, uh, the messaging. We'll help them make their sales hires. We'll help them scale their teams and really get them to to start you know doubling and tripling their revenue year over year. Got it. Understood. That totally makes sense. So I do want to come yeah. back to that. Um, let's start a little bit higher level now and talk about what you internally speak about when you say partnerships startup we're going to come in or we're going to pursue this company what are some of the internal dialogue what are some of the main points you guys like to hit on and anything that you've seen uh in the current climate related to partnerships in vc absolutely so i think first and foremost our thesis at in revenue is that we want to help them go to market, but we want to do it out of a partnership lens. And the reason for that is that we invest specifically in, and exclusively in vertical SaaS. So they're going selling into one industry, right? Now, if they built a sales team around it, they know who their ICP is. They know that the total, you know, uh, addressable market. And we see that there's a lot of partners that already exist in that um, in that vertical and, and in those industries that they can latch onto and help sell. And so the reason that it that we we like to go that route for a, you know, a handful of them, but most importantly, it's a lower cost upfront. If you can build those relationships instead of scaling up a sales team and training and trying to you know build out the structure internally, then you can go through partners and you can test a new market, you can test a new vertical, you can test uh, a new geo uh, without having to expend all the upfront cost, right? And then you can easily decide whether that works or not. 
Two, you can leverage their relationships and the existing uh, sales cycles that they're already familiar with. So they're already selling into this. They're already partnering with others in that vertical space. So you'll, they'll know who to talk to. They'll know the right person. Uh, they'll know the ICP. They know the language to use, et cetera. Um, and so that helps kind of a, uh, scale it up. Now, it's not an either or, it's an either and. So we, we still want them to have an internal sales team because we want those sellers to be working through partners. So it's not just, hey, let's find a reseller for us. It's find co-seller, someone who might be a consultant or a broker that might be able to make the introductions for you. Obviously, there's a revenue share on that side. But again, it, it helps speed that process up and helps get you into new places faster. Got it. Got it. Um, and is it safe to say that when you're looking at a vertical specific SaaS, do you come in with a requirement to launch into partnerships at some stage? How do you have that conversation with a founder that maybe has, let's say, eight people on his or her team? And uh, they have the typical roles, you know, CS, uh, sales, yep. maybe marketing, of course, engineers mainly. What what conversations do you have with them about partnerships? So it's definitely not a requirement. It's it's a huge plus to have it existing already. Uh, but we look for the potential. So we're looking and saying, hey, listen, I, I know you may not have done it yet. Uh, are there potential partners out there? What do those look like? Um, have you talked to anyone before? Are there others like you that work with these partners, right? What does the space look like? What does the landscape look like? Um, are there places you can tap in from a marketplace perspective? Are there places you can tap in from, um, you know, rev share kind of reseller or co-selling model? Um, are there existing programs that exist like in place? Is your, is your, you know, your product part of a, a greater solution that, that maybe some of the larger consultants are, are selling into these, you know, uh, enterprise organizations and so that you can be an add-on into that. And so there's a, a, a lot of different angles that we look at. And so it doesn't necessarily have to be something they do. It's a huge plus, um, but it's something that we look at and because we know we can add a ton of value there. So if there is no partnership channel for them, which it rarely is the case, uh, they may not just know about it at first, but we'll start doing that in part of our due diligence. So we'll start looking at the space. We'll talk to people um, that are already existing partners or potential partners, try to understand if this is something that's viable for them. Um, if they have partners, great. We want to do a deep dive and trying to figure out what the pain point is, what they're solving for. If they don't, we're, we're exploring that. I mean, it, in you know certain cases, we've already brought partners to the table during the due diligence process before we even signed anything with them because we saw there was a potential there. Our networks had people that could help them. Um, so we try to add value from day one. Um, but at the same time, you know, we, I've had conversations with organizations and during due diligence, we found out they had, you know, partnership with Salesforce, right? They're premier partner of Salesforce. But when you start doing a layer deep and saying, well, what does that even mean? Have they done anything for you yet? The only thing they really got out of that was a few webinars that they were you know, able to be on. And so then you have to look at it and say, well, you may have this channel, like you, you may have this what on paper that says you have it, but it takes a lot of work to start spinning up a strategic relationship like that. And so, you know, the, the time horizon on that is a bit longer, which, so it's a good sign, but at the same time, if it's that early, there's also, there's a ton of work to be done. Oh, so many good things there. So uh, one thing that you mentioned uh, where the company is right for partnerships as an indicator, or at least one of the signs of potential investment mm -hmm. success for you guys um, we'll just call that partner market fit. I think we have an article on our blog about partnerships right. market fit. And it's a situation where I do this all day long. I'll vet companies to join partner hub and I look at, okay, well, are you selling directly to these individuals that you claim are partners? Is there even a partnership conversation? Because too many orgs right now, I think are throwing the partnership word out for 
relationships that aren't in in uh, a reciprocal sort of um, true partnership, uh, according to the Absolutely. definition. So you're saying that you'll look at an organization and you'll you'll gauge the typical revenue, you know, trajectory, size of market, what they're doing in the space, unique founder team, all that stuff. But then you get to this partnership word and you look at, okay, well, how quickly can our network support them? That's probably one of the first. Do we have people that can be partners and make those introductions? That's a good sign. And then second is, are they in a position to, as a product, to work with partners? If so, what type? And are that are the, is that type of partner a very easy, not easy, but like I can, you know, knock on a few doors on LinkedIn and get at least conversation right. or is it like they can only really be a strategic partner to nonprofits that are in this space. And then it's just, it's kind of a can of worms that may be a red right. guys. Yeah. So I mean, all of the above, I mean, what we're trying to look for is what the partner potential is. And, and, you know, rarely have we found a fa- like we met a founder that's opposed to it, right? I mean, everyone's going to say, hey, listen, anyway, we'll get revenue better, right? Um, some are just as like more unfamiliar with it than others. So they may have had zero experience with it. Um, but uh, when you find these like niche spaces within vertical SaaS, you often will see that there's a handful of partner opportunities for really anyone adjacent around that, right? So there's a handful of these consultancies or brokerages or things like that that are what that have that are selling solutions to the enterprise market. Like if you're talking about medical or pharma or uh, manufacturing, for example, or things of that nature, um, physician management, right? Well, there's there's you know there's a finite number of technologies that exist, and then there's always consultants that sell things on top of that. And so if you can figure out if that's even possible, and if your value add is strong enough. Uh, then there's conversations you can start having there. So we always include that in our due diligence because we kind of see that as, you know, a, a cheat code to revenue is trying to, to to tap into those channels. I like that. Cheat code to revenue is tapping into those channels. Yeah, and it makes sense. I mean, on paper, it's it's no one's going to have a ton of money in the bank or very few are going to have a ton of money in the bank to be able to test traditional channels and fail at traditional channels for any period right. of time. So you have to look at it like, well, what are you going to do when you don't have money? How are you going to grow without money? The only answer is the main answer there is partnerships, especially for this discussion. Um, So product led versus partnerships led. Um, I do want to talk about community in there as well. So when you're looking at an organization, do you value community led approaches and partnership and community. And then there's this go to network that Mac Redden over at uh, Comsor is kind of coining as well. There's lots of these kind of community partner product, all these led approaches. Let's talk about your, I think the way I'd phrase this question is what is your ideal scenario for a small team to have as a blank led approach or a pie chart of where things are coming from? And then how does that progress into partnerships at what stage? If you were putting yourself in like the glory dream startup, what is going on in that startup when you guys are coming into the picture and where would you like them to be before they start partnering or start a partnership, I guess, go to market and a partner program and uh, anything relevant in there? Yeah, so I don't know if there's a single... I don't know if there's a silver bullet there. I think there's a a handful of scenarios, but what I'd like to see is that they have a strong product that solves uh, a specific problem 
Um, and the founding team has a very um, intimate knowledge of the world that they live in, the pain that they're solving for, have had have experienced that acute pain before. So they understand how to talk to those folks. They've been in those seats before, right? Yeah. Uh, I'd like for them to have, it, depending on deal size, you know, 10, 15 deals, something around that, that where at least where they've got, you know, half a million to 800K in ARR, where they, so maybe it's more deals, maybe less depending on size. But they've proven that it's not just friends and family. It's not this person, previous employee I used to work with. It's not an intro from somebody else. These are people that they reached out to and said, hey, listen, I've been in your seat before. I understand the pain. Here's how we solve for it. Are you interested in a conversation? And that progressed in the sales cycle, right? Um, and so we know for a fact that they have product market fit because they were able to articulate the value. The, the, um, the buyer saw the value, went through the process and ended up purchasing. Um, I would like for there to be a a pretty obvious partner potential around them and as far as adjacency goes so usually it'll be on the co-selling or reselling side so you find want to find consultancies that sell a solution as i mentioned before where they may come in and do um you know i don't know for example they're they're helping a physician's office and they need things around management and booking and compensation and etc and they're coming in and they're selling a solution to them and saying, hey, here's all the parts. And this is one of the parts that can plug into it, right? So this organization has the potential to fill a gap that exists out there. Or that they are uh, basically digitalizing or codifying an existing very manual process. So think of like manufacturing or trucking or logistics or things of that nature where things are still written down a lot on paper and pen or in spreadsheets. And so they're taking those things and they're codifying them and they're giving them insights and they're helping them save uh, cost savings um, as a whole. And so... Uh, at that point, things get really interesting. And then from th from then on, like there's partner potential. They've got some traction. It really comes down to the founder and if we believe in them. Like at the end of the day, period, no matter what stage you're at, but even more importantly at the seed stage, because you're going to pivot a few times, likely. You're going to make some changes to the product and to the things and to everything else. If you go to market, you're messaging all of it um, from that early stage on. And so I want to find someone that I believe in and say, listen, no matter what, this person's going to figure it out. Right. And so we're there to help them on the go to market side. We're there to help them financially. But I believe in this person, period. Uh, and if you do that, the probability of being right is a bit higher. You know, at the end of the day, it's it's a bit of a lottery, you know, investing in organizations. Right. You, you can't no one can be right every single time, period. That's just it's not possible. Um, but if you bet on the founder, um, in my experience and, and from smarter people than myself, um, sharing this knowledge with me that if you if you find the right founder, you're going to do better more often than without that. Got it. Um, and that founder being open to partnerships is is, is another feather but, in the cap. I mean, I again, I haven't seen anyone who's not open to it. Like, hey, listen, we'll find a better way to get you revenue. No one's going to say no. Um, mm -hmm. I think there are some specifics that we always get into around how things are structured and pricing and whose paper it goes on and how it, the how the deal, uh, you know, comes to commercials and everything like that. But that's, those are semantics, you know, when, when you're thinking just bigger picture, like we want, this is how we want to take you guys to market. This is the best channel we think we can get for you. 99% um, of the time they're open to it. Yeah. And I think the no, where no comes into play in my world and with partnerships is they'll say no to working with agencies, solutions, providers. Um, Gong was actually in this boat up until I think a year and a half ago. They were up, up to a hundred million in ARR before they said, "Okay, we're ready to work with agencies." I think that's extreme, right. and I think they are missing some market share. Companies like Avoma, 
much smaller, almost launched with partnerships as one of their go to market mm-hmm. and they're sweeping up HubSpot, RevOps, Salesforce, RevOps agencies all day long um, and taking market share from from Gong. So I don't think that was a great decision, but I'm biased. Um, but let's talk about this. I mean, it takes work, right? It takes work. It takes time. It takes effort. It takes money. Like it's not it's not a cheap thing to stand up, especially when you get to a larger scale. Right? There's a lot of internal training that needs to happen, enablement across the board, certifications. I mean, the longer you wait to do it, the more expensive it's going to be. Exactly. I, I hear you. I hear you for sure. So um, let's talk about how partnerships teams can come about in a staged approach and then how they can support the team from, let's just say they're coming in and you're working with this smaller company that you've invested in. You're kind of you know, inserting partnerships loosely, they're informal, they're just, hey, we know these people, you know, those people, let's, uh, let's work some co marketing, maybe to start, maybe we'll co sell a little bit, then uh, someone gets assigned this role, and they they're doing partnerships, either part time, and they've got some other um, hat on, or full time. Uh, Then we want to talk about how that endeavor supports the series A, and gets the Series A done and how teams can support. So if you're listening, we're talking to CEOs or partnerships teams that are in that pre-seed or seed, but we want you to know how you can support the org to close that Series A faster. Um, How can those teams get that going and how can they enable that Series A to get closed faster? Absolutely. So I think there's, you know, obviously revenue is going to speak for itself, right? In in the evaluation process of the Series A, they want to see that you have traction. You want to see that you have um, predictable growth. I think where partnerships comes into play, whether that's the first place that you want to market or it's adjacent to to going direct, um, it's really important to be able to to understand what that addressable market looks like, uh, what that partner potential looks like, what those motions look like. So you're obviously not going to start with partnering with everyone. You're not going to start with your PWCs and your Deloitte's, right? You're going to have, you're going to go down to some smaller shops, but you can start seeing traction there. Now, what things that are very attractive are the percentage of deals that a partner is involved with, percentage of deals that a partner is sourcing for you, the partner, the percentage of revenue that you're getting from partner source deals or partner influence deals, right? So there's a lot of different ways that you, there's a lot of different lenses that you can look at this through. But it's, you know, one plus one equals three idea, right? If you have this other channel that are sourcing deals for you and it's predictable, just like your inside sales team, your cost of acquisition is probably lower with your partners. You may not have the same velocity and the same scale as your internal team or your inside sales team, but you're going to be able to uh, to acquire those customers. And then the other things to look at is net retention numbers around partners, um, partner source deals, right? So if we bring in a partner, do we have better retention with them? If they're on as a value-added reseller, or they're, they're adding services on top, or they're doing the implementations for us, right? So there's a certain point where, you know, we saw this at SalesOft. This is kind of how our alliances program even came about. We had an uh, ecosystem technology program, but we had we were running out of people to do implementations, right? We were bringing on too many customers that didn't have enough people to do these. So we ended up going out and certifying a lot of these consultancies and agencies and adjacent sales coaches to us on the technical and business implementation of the platform. And then they were adding services like helping them with their playbook and their messaging and creating their cadences and things of that nature, right? And it was a very natural symbiotic relationship. And then that grew to the point where uh, we ended up eventually acquiring one of our top partners that did that to bring them in house and then having that as a service add-on internally, 
right? So we we had, and we still work with the other ones as well, but then we started seeing deals come in. Uh, we were able to refer them deals uh, and then everyone was growing revenue together. So, you know, I think to to kind of come back around is is that it's never too early to start. It may not be necessarily that you need to have an entire team around it, but you should understand what that world looks like and the levers that you can pull. Because during those round raises, you're going to be asked, what, how, how do you plan to grow revenue, right? And, and you know, everyone's going to have the inside sales answer. Well, we, we put this much in the marketing, we put this into sales, we can grow this much, this is our customer acquisition cost, et cetera. Um, but if you can look and then you, if you can start having these adjacent channels, these adjacent opportunities, then when the boards are, excuse me, the investors start thinking about where to put their money in, they're going to say, hey, listen, I love that. Let's put some, we're going to give you this much money. Let's invest here to build out that program, build out that channel, because again, it is expensive. And so, um, so I think it, it's, it's good to know it, especially in the early stages, what the potential is. You may not have the, the resources internally to do it yet. But as that founder or whoever you have as that early sales leader, they should at least be having some conversations around it, right? And start to understand what the requirements would be to get into those programs. I love it. Okay. I want to do something and see if this turns into content for the episode. Maybe, maybe not. But um, let's talk about e-commerce and how e-commerce brands, and you may not have much experience. I don't either, but I, I just know from working with some of the agencies on go-to-market, how, how a typical product, an actual product, physical product goes to market in the e-commerce space these days. So think yeah. of a typical TikTok influencer campaign. So, right. Yeah. You've got, I just purchased a product off TikTok the other day, athletic greens. Right. And I was like, everyone's talking about this, whatever. I'll try it out. Right. Um, so the way I found it is through an ad and yep. uh, the, the actual creator of the ad happened to be on our um, TikTok partner tracks event yesterday. We had this big training and uh, she ends up telling me like how they did it and what they were doing. And, and it correlates with many e-commerce product go-to-markets. But I want to see if this fits into SaaS and get your opinions on it. Hypothetically, I'm a founder. I'm a, I'm a founder, but hypothetically, you're listening. <laughs> you're listening, our founders. And um, you are in the early stages of product development. Maybe you have some beta users and you're putting together your go-to-market. And we want to come to Sean. Sean's maybe entering your DMs or you're entering his. And you're like, we're looking for funding and this is where we're at. And um, maybe we're pre-revenue, which probably maybe disqualifies. But let's say we're still qualified. Um, and we have sort of an e-commerce product launch go-to-market strategy. And the e-commerce side is typically find influencers, pay them to post about your product, right? Get a handful, however many you can afford. Then bring in thought leaders, influencers into content, into uh, actual templates or product um, product branding. So you can have Kim Kardashian's version of your product on launch and you're paying Kim for it. Or maybe Kim's doing it for free because it's good for her brand. And then you're matching new customers with uh, consultants. So if it's a athletic greens type product, maybe you're matching them with a gym coach and you put them into contact over email and they have one free session on, you know, diet and exercise, right? Put that into the SaaS world. I'm going to create a go-to-market that's going to pay partnership leaders for, and this is my, my product's a partner product. So put this into context of whatever industry you're in, but I'm going to pay thought leaders for blank number of posts on social for the launch. So I'm going to give them content. I'm going to put branded assets together. They're guaranteeing me blank number of posts. I'm going to pre-write content and schedule webinars with those same thought leaders in my space. 
I'm going to get with the product team and say, hey, we've got use cases of our product. We know what they are. Why don't we brand those according to the same names as the thought leaders and say, this is how this person, Sean Kester, does partnerships go Mm -hmm. to market. And these are the 10 steps. And here are the automations. And all you have to do is click on that template. And now your account is set up to launch with Sean Kester's go to market 10 step routine. Then we're going to match new users with thought leaders and experts. And the arrangement there is non-compensatory. We're going to match you. It's up to you to have one exploratory call. You're not going to charge them for that. If they end up buying your services, great. It's good for everybody. If not, you're not going to push them into a sales conversation. So you have that sort of loose agreement. That type of a go-to-market pre-revenue, what would you say about that? How would you poke holes in that? What would you what would you what would you tell that founder? Yeah. Um, I mean, on the SaaS side, it sounds really complicated for numerous reasons, but I think specifically is the necessity to have a white labeled solution that you can easily transfer to every single one of these influencers off the bat, right? Like in such an early phase, like pre-revenue, you're probably not going to have the product to a place where you could easily reskin it and sell and give it to somebody else, right? I think oh, not first and foremost, not reskin it. You would just log into the product, and I think um, gotcha. Kite.ai does this, and a couple other where you go to a templates data box does this. And the template is branded as the agent. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Template. Okay, like playbooks that are created by. Yeah. Exactly. I think that's a great idea. I mean, it, so the difficulty in it is that you've got no clout to get in with those influencers at that time, right? Like, there's, oh. they're just going to be like, who are you? And you're like, hey, we want all these playbooks from you. And they're like, I, you're not even Because most of the time when that happens, you've got enough of a, of a community and following to help them with their brand and they help you with your brand. And it's, and, you know, it's mutually beneficial. And so you're like, Hey, you know, so-and-so, uh, you know, sales leader, or partnership leader, we want to play like, I would, you, you're great at doing this, but you write a play that we could then give to our users. Right. Um, if you're good and you've got connections there in that place, then great. Uh, I think that would be a great idea. Um, you know, we've, I've, I've, I've done some things like that in the past and what we really had to do is start like reposting their content early on credit relationships, like letting them do guest blogs or, you know, putting them on podcasts or whatever it may be. Right. Like basically trying to, to, to put them on a pedestal as much as possible so that when you ask for a favor later on, they would do it. Um, you can pay for it. I don't know if that would necessarily have the, the, the best ROI on it. Uh, and I wouldn't even know how to price it, but I don't see that as a bad idea because going back to your community you can build a community of people that are really great around the product, the problem that you solve. Uh, maybe they don't necessarily use your product or, or maybe you're, you, you're got a different angle on it, but if you get them to talk about you, that's always going to be great. Right. They've got a you know a community where they've got people that are following them and looking at them for advice and resources. So why not? So I think all in all, there's a lot of things you could probably take away from the consumer go to market. Um, but I would be, make sure you're still, your product's still delivering value, right? Like you you want to you want to have it balanced in between solving a problem and then also talking about it. You know, there's two types of organizations that I'll see. Um, one is the the ones that were had a uh, a better go like better marketing, better sales. Product was a little bit lacking, but they might have been first to market, um, or they might have been loudest to market, right? And they're really good at selling. They grow the revenues. And then there's another organization that's kind of been number two or number three for a while that may have uh, spent more time on product. They have a better product, but they've had no sale, like no marketing whatsoever, right? I like to find the ones that are the no marketing because 
what they'll end up happening is once you turn the put the gas on from either a partnership perspective or from a direct sales perspective and from a marketing perspective, they will outsell the others because they do have a better product genuinely. And so the other ones, the you know, company A will, will create the space, create the market, and then company B comes in at the end and they're, you know, the second uh, they may have been first to market. They just didn't, they weren't very good at market. But again, I like to find it where you can pour gas on the go to market, uh, but the product's really there. So it's it's a fine balance. But to answer your question, I think it can work. Okay. I've got two examples that I think you will probably have experience with. Um, let's talk about ecosystems led versus community led. These are the subtopics of partnerships. And I'll define this and everybody listening will have a different definition of this. But ecosystem led deal hub or arrows that launched into the HubSpot ecosystem. They're native to HubSpot. They don't connect anywhere else. They're 100% a HubSpot product. You have to have a HubSpot account in order to use that product. There are benefits, there are pros and there are cons to that strategy. But those two companies are hugely successful because they created a really great product that connects to a tool that thousands and thousands of people already invest heavily into, and it solves a big problem enough for them to pay extra for it. And they're growing mm-hmm. like a rocket ship, and then they launch into Salesforce and do the same thing. Then there's community-led. Let's talk about Lavender. Lavender, the email product, built a yep. fantastic community. The Will's over there. They built a fantastic following. And now started to get into the product world or recently, I think maybe in the last year. And I think if they're honest and we're honest, the product wasn't anything revolutionary. Uh, It gets better and their community drives the benefits of the product because you get that cold email writing expertise and then they add AI and then they add all the stuff and it's native to HubSpot and you can write an email and it becomes a great product. But if you're looking at a founder that's like, I want to launch this app into HubSpot or into Salesforce, and then we're just going to stick there for the next two years until we have success. And we're solving this pain point. We already have beta users who are loving it, but we haven't launched yet versus a community that says, you know what, we've got this killer community that wants this product. We've got a very rough version of it and beta users. Which one of those is more attractive or are they both attractive for different ways? Talk about ecosystem-led versus community-led. Yeah, pros and cons to both. So, uh, ecosystem led is interesting. You'll get you'll get to revenue faster. Um, you are limiting your addressable market off of that, right? Um, but there's huge levers that you can pull within a lot of those established partner programs, especially the HubSpot one, where you can grow very quickly, get a lot of exposure, um, and start growing that revenue. And they've got great incentives for you. And there's a lot from a go to market like marketing perspective, and from um, exposure on stage and at their conferences and in media and whatnot. Um, again, you're limiting your total addressable market. And in order to create a parity product in a different system, you basically kind of have to start from scratch from a code base, right? So a lot of times it, t- it takes a long time to get that. If you want to go into Salesforce or have it standalone. Um, it's a great way to get into market though. Uh, the the, eco- or the uh, community-led growth is interesting. If you've got if you like, so for example, if a founder had an exit and they're trying to go figure out what to do next, and they know generally what space they want to be in, and they know what problem they want to solve at a at a, uh, a you know from a thirty thousand foot view, 
building a community around an idea is a really great way to get the data and the inputs you need to figure out exactly how you want to go about solving a particular problem. But it takes a long time. It's not going to come overnight. And so you may, then you have to start building. And so, but you're going to have your beta testers, you're going to have your advisory members, you're going to have all sorts of inputs from the market uh, and see where things are trending and where you can solve it and hopefully figure out where you need to be in two to three years from then and not just what the pain point is that day. Um, and that is, that. that's a huge benefit, but I think it's reserved for a specific financial situation. Uh, I've seen it done where people can kind of bootstrap it, but it's harder to do that because you need time. Um, so it's to foster that community. But once you do have something, you've got people that are loyal to you. They're people that believe in you. They've given you input. They, they're going to help steer you in the right direction. So I think both are um, viable uh, go-to-market strategies. They just have their pros and cons. I, I Yeah, I mean, the viability, I don't think is a question. All those companies I mentioned are successful or about to be hugely successful. The other one is in the Salesforce ecosystem, like qualified um, number of products that literally just automate a, a task and they're just blowing up mm -hmm. and they have 300 employees in the first two years. And you're like, what? Because you're not in that ecosystem. I'm, I'm a HubSpot user and I don't, I don't use Salesforce. I'm like, how can you possibly have 300 employees in two years when all you do is create a report and automate some messages amongst the team inside Salesforce. It's astounding. Right. Then on the other end, it's like you see these companies like Lavender and these, these communities that are just incredible. So I'm very curious about that and how those look um, and, um, and, and what your thoughts are on that. So thank you for that. Um, I think we can start to wind down. Uh, we're almost out of time anyways. Um, so the question around when is a good time to launch a partnership? I don't think we had a clear answer to that. We touched on it a little bit, but, uh, if you had to pick an ideal time and it doesn't have to be a time like years, it could be, you've got this, this, and this in place now is a good quote unquote time to launch partnerships. What would you say? Whenever you can add value to that partnership for both sides. I mean, uh, is, the, is the correct answer, right? Whenever there's a sustainable way for you to uh, create a channel where both sides feel like they're getting benefits. And then from there, you can ex you can explore different types of channels and different types of motions. Um, I know, know, so I think taking a step back and something I want to mention earlier, when I started doing partnerships, um, when you know we all started in that space, it wasn't not a top of mind go to market effort, primary go to market effort, right? It was these were except for kind of in the you know hardware days where you had channel partners selling you know a computer setup and they had to pull you know a desktop from here and you know a hard drive from there. But in SaaS world, it was kind of it was adjacent to inside sales. They didn't really have a place. They didn't have a place to report to. They didn't really have you know defined motion. And over the past decade or so, you've seen the partnership companies come out, whether they're, um, you know, the partnership CRMs or the co-selling softwares, and it's becoming fun of mind. And I think for that reason, um, it should be on every new founder's mind from the beginning. When it makes sense, I think is opportunistic. Uh, I think you should always be building those relationships. And when the time is right, you'll you'll be able to understand it. I don't think there's a series A versus series B, or when you're at a certain type of revenue, it depends on your market, your vertical, what you're trying to accomplish, but you should, you should know what those channels are at the least. Got it. Yeah. I'll, I'll share this with you. You can check that out on your own time, but there was a big discussion on LinkedIn and the questions to the poll of when you should launch a partnership were 
pre-seed seed you know series a which i yeah again i i didn't think it made sense at all so i made some comments and people added some good information but there's a link to the post in that article but the main thing cool. i think the main takeaway for founders is exactly that it's 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 not even a necessity to have a partnership team you can do partnerships without it's really just who are you what is your organization and does your product and your actual marketing and sales endeavors lend to partnerships and oftentimes founders will think our products killer every founder thinks their products killer i think or at least they they feel it that's um, good everybody everybody's got an ego okay my product's great i'm ready for partnerships and that's not the case they think uh, everyone's going to want to sell their product because yeah, it's great. Or maybe it is, but um, no, that's not the case. It's really, can you work with them and does your team and um, uh, does your capacity and your ability to lend value? Is that all in place? So I really like that answer. Any final thoughts for partnership teams and CEOs in capital raising or about to be in capital raising? Any final thoughts for those ICPs or I, ideal listener personas? Yeah, I mean, I think... <sighs> I mean, at the end of the day, it's an important channel. Uh, it Again, it may not be, everyone may not have access to that channel, but when you go in and when you're starting a business um, or you're trying to discover your go-to-market, it should be part of your total addressable and your ICP. And it should be a channel that you at least understand enough. Um, and, and I think it helps, that'll help dictate when and where you start doing it. If, it, if all of your partners are selling to enterprise and you're not enterprise ready, probably not the right time to do it yet. Uh, if there are, you know, if there are things more adjacent to you or, or consultancies or brokers that will sell into your ideal customer at that time, there's a conversation you start having. Um, but they don't happen overnight. Um, the ROI is harder to forecast um, than it would be for an inside sales model, right? It, it is not as structured. So there is a little leap of faith that has to be taken. I think everyone will agree that partnerships are important, but it's really hard to start carving out budget when it's, hey, do we put more marketing spend here, which we know converts this, or do we put it on partnerships where there's a bit of an unknown there, right? So it does take some time to spin up. It does take some time to have results most of the time. And so being patient, and, but understanding where where the potential is, is great. Awesome, man. Can't thank you enough. This has been really great. I'm going to hit stop on the recording. And if you're listening, yeah, oh. check out Sean and in revenue capital but sean any links any call to action who should go visit the site who are you looking to partner with right now what are you after yeah so um you know a lot of my agenda is around networking with other vcs that do stuff in the seed space um we like to partner with them so we'll lead rounds but we like to follow on um, and add that value add um we'll, i'm willing to talk to any any founders that are uh, have a little bit of revenue traction in vertical SaaS, um, specifically uh, North America and Canada. Okay, and uh, vertical SaaS, but no no specific verticals. Like, do you bigger in sales tech, martech, e commerce, B two B? Yeah, this at this point we'll have conversations with anyone. The more niche, the better we found, um, and so because that's where we can really come in and help them get dialed in on their sales process. Um, you know, we don't do any horizontal SaaS, so it's got to be generalized. But um, uh, you know, I'm willing to talk to anybody.